Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of No Script, No Problem on the Believe Podcast Network. This is the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? No Script, No Problem is the show that takes you behind the curtain of unscripted television like never before with insight from some of the best in the business of reality TV, documentary series, competition shows, social experiment, game shows, and much more. From The Prophet to Botch to Love is Blind to Live PD, if it's unscripted, we'll get into it. I'm your host, Steve Berkowitz. I'm a 15-year veteran producer of unscripted TV with shows like Extreme Makeover Home Edition, BattleBots, Outdaughtered, The Rachel Zoe Project, and Pros vs. Joes among my credits. Each week, I talk to the talented people who make unscripted TV, documentaries, true crime, and game shows not just something you watch or consume, but a cultural phenomenon. Now, if you enjoy No Script, No Problem, please subscribe and rate the show. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find it on Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at Steve Berkowitz and on Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. All right, let's get started. Today, we're going to talk about some of the biggest shows on Bravo, as well as docu-soaps in general. Now, my guest to discuss these topics joined Evolution Media in 2006 and has been an executive producer and developer of more than 30 series. That's right, 30, including, that's right, here we go, The Real Housewives of Orange County, The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, Vanderpump Rules, and Botched. He recently was promoted to president at Evolution Media. Please welcome... Alex Baskin. Alex, how you doing, buddy? Steve, doing great. Nice to be with you. So you guys, obviously, you have several shows, things like both Real House, both of your Real Housewives franchises, Bodge, Vanderpump Rules. How are you guys adjusting, whether that's post-production, development, or shows that you may be casting? What are you guys doing to adjust the way you're doing things at Evolution? The shows that are in post-production have been working remotely, and our IT team... Um, are really the heroes of this because they've figured out how to put in place a pretty efficient system so that we have everyone working at home. And so cuts are going out and the shows are continuing. And again, I, I sort of marvel at the efforts that everyone has made to figure out a makeshift system on the fly. And then development is is ongoing. And there's a lot that we're able to do on that front. And we are um, pitching and, and on good days selling yeah. <laughs> um, because because you are able to develop, yeah, um, obviously, sure. in this time. And so I want to take a step back really quickly. Um, I always ask my guests to tell us a little bit about how you got into this wild world of unscripted television. Everybody seems to have a very different story <laughs> about how they entered this this crazy world. Yeah, it's funny. I think that everybody's um, story starts off with, um, you know, uh, saying it's some sort of fluke or they you know, got into it in some um, you know unexpected way. And for me, um, I had always been interested in television and I grew up in LA and, um, and my dad was a comedy writer. And so I had exposure to the business. And then I interned at MTV uh, the summer after my senior year in high school and really caught the bug once I had immediate contact with the business. And um, so I ended up as an intern uh, setting up a project at MTV. At the time I had been, uh, I'd worked for a youth 
peer crisis counseling hotline. Really? And so I thought to, to pitch that project to MTV and much to my amazement, they decided they wanted to put it in development. And um, so we did a pilot for it. And um, so I proudly had a failed pilot at 18 years <laughs> old. So I, I learned a lot about yeah. the process that way. Um, but that was also th through, uh, through that process, how I ended up meeting Doug Ross, the founder of Evolution, because- wow. It talked to him about producing that that series and sort of that pilot. And so then um, he and I really connected and I ended up going to law school. And when I knew that I didn't want to practice law, I called Doug up and I said, you know, do you remember that 18 year old uh, idiot from all those years ago? <laughs> well, you know, I do want to get into television. And um, so is there any way that you would hire me? And he um, brought me into Evolution, and um, and I've been there ever since. So that's the it, literally Evolution is the only place that I've ever worked. That is crazy. Now, Doug, you know, it started you know started Evolution. He's the president, and eventually, you know, you recently were promoted to co-president. Yeah, that's right. And any success that I've managed to have is really due to him because he was um, always the most inclusive and and gracious leader. And uh, long before I belonged in. Uh, in, in any room, he brought me in and gave me exposure to all facets of the business. And that really accelerated my learning curve. And um, and so it was really cool that someone who was as successful as he was and, um, you know, had started this company allowed me um, into the productions. And um, so that that really was the difference maker for my career. That's that that's a great story, I think, for for people, whether they're in the industry and are listening or people who don't work in, in the industry, I think that applies to a lot of people in terms of finding whether you want to call it a mentor or just somebody who is an advocate. Don't you feel like that's super important no matter what business you're in? Oh, I think it's so crucially important. I, I really think that you need people that you need, to, that you emulate, people who take you under their wing, people who um, will believe in you and who give you additional responsibilities. And he believed in me kind of more, more than I believed in myself at the time, because um, I knew that this was an interest in mine and I had something of an aptitude for it, but, um, but it really was his inclusion of me um, that, that A, allowed me to develop my skills, but then also made me feel like I belonged. Now, I want to kind of fast forward to more current times where Evolution has become a go-to company for the docu-soap, right? Whether that is the Housewives of Beverly Hills, the Housewives of Orange County, Vanderpump Rules, right? Specifically, those three shows on Bravo. Um, you know, you guys are, are, you know, and now The Hills, The New Beginnings, right? Like, you guys, you don't own the DocuSoap space, but you are a go-to company for that. Why do you feel like the DocuSoap space and, and how you guys do DocuSoaps, why do you think you guys have, that's, that's become a space that you guys really do well? I think it's a few different factors. I think one is that we were fortunate enough to be tapped by Bravo to take on the Real Housewives of Orange County beginning in season two. And, and I think that um, in this business, I think that when success is attached to you, then I think that the community at large um, just sort of uh, believes in you in, in that regard. And I think then they just um, end up um, you know, giving you more opportunities. So I think that, that success begets success. Um, I also think that 
um, you know, we are, we're very curious storytellers and we, we all collectively got into the business because it's fun to tell real people's stories. And at core, that's what docuseries are. And so I think it plays to um, our own interests and in some ways our strengths. Um, and so I think that it's, it's those things. And I also think that, um, you know, it, getting into the Housewives of Orange County beginning in, in right around 2006, um, I think also was fortuitous timing because it's also when the docuseries really took off. Yeah. So I think the fact that it then was, was a genre, um, that was streaking towards success helped us also. So I, I think it's a combination of those things. I think that, you know, kind of right place, right time, but with the interest in it. And, um, and I think that, um, that's, you know, really what's led to, to kind of our current slate of business. Could you have ever imagined when you guys were doing season two uh, of Orange County, could you have ever imagined that the Housewives franchise would have exploded the way it has? No way. No way. I mean, I would love to say that we knew that it was going to become this phenomenon, but we didn't. Um, we believed in the show and we actually had watched season one, which was kind of a fledgling hit. And, and to Bravo's credit, the numbers on it weren't great, but Bravo believed in it. And, um, and, and they do this for... Um, for a lot of their programs that that aren't necessarily huge hits out of the gate, which is the exception in the business on the whole. And so they nurtured it and supported it. But I, I can't imagine that anybody would have thought that it would become the, yeah. the franchise that it's become. I mean, I, I think that would be revisionist history. You know, <laughs> who, who would think it? Right, right. And, and in your mind, like whether it is Orange County or it's Be it's Beverly Hills, what do you think is the key to the success of these shows and why fans have just flocked to this franchise? I, I think it's a few things. I think one, you know, again, at core, I think it's, it's uh, real people who, um, who are also very television watchable. So I think that they, um, you know, they have the, but they have inherently really interesting traits about them. Um, and I think that they, you know, sort of reflect the audience, but they're also the extreme version of the audience. Yeah. And I think the shows are, um, and, and so, and that's casting is everything, right? Sure. I mean, we, we are, you know, we're, we're only as good as the cast that we have, but I think beyond that, the shows are really well made. I think that Bravo really has it down. I think that they, they know what the audience wants to see. I think the show's look great. I think that they are really slickly made. And I think that works. And I just think that it is an endless supply of fascinating stories that are pretty well told. You made celebrities out of these people, right? And and that has changed the way you've had to produce the show, hasn't it? Like, yeah, they, yeah, go ahead. You can speak to that. Absolutely. I think that it the shows are different in their first couple seasons, and they were really different in the first couple seasons in a pre-social media era. And so I think that it, initially the shows were about, um, you know, um, unknown groups of real friends, and then they become about, um, you know, sort of these larger than life personas. And our constant challenge is, is to make sure that the cast isn't self-conscious and that they are behaving in an authentic way and that they are not playing to social media um, because that changes everything. And then, and then the other thing is not wanting the show to be about the show itself. So we've done um, some interesting things with breaking the fourth wall on some of the shows, because yeah. we do have to acknowledge the, the world they live in. But, um, but I don't think that, uh, that the audience just wants to see a, a show that is 
self-referential. And, um, and so that becomes, um, becomes kind of a challenge because, um, you know, again, it, it, you have people who sign up for the show as unknowns and then through the process of the show become big recognizable stars. And you don't want the show to be about that. You want them still to be real people that are living real lives. So it changes the trajectory of things for sure. How do you use, utilize that ability to kind of break the fourth wall and, and for the benefit of the show? I think what you have to do these days is acknowledge that sometimes it is the reaction to things that are happening on the show are the, the story itself. And so, you know, for example, if someone in the cast um, shares another cast member's secret, right. something like that, and that becomes an issue, then, then really the, um, it's, it, the reaction to that is not just a friend in a group that feels betrayed, but like we have to acknowledge that it's, they're sharing a secret in front of the world. So that kind of thing, you yeah. know, where, where I think we have to acknowledge that the show itself really matters and plays a role. I think where we have to be careful is we still as production do not want to be involved sure. in the interactions between the cast. And the thing that we are always saying, and just because it is it's true and we're proud of it and um, people don't always believe us, is – these shows are not scripted. If they were scripted, my life would be much easier because I would know what every day is going to look like. Yeah. But if anybody thinks that these ca- these strong, powerful, opinionated cast members would listen to us telling them what to do, they are sorely mistaken. So, <laughs> you know, that's a point that we always make. Yeah. Um, but 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 again, to the extent that that then the public personas involved or the public nature of the show impact the interactions between the cast, then, then I do think that, you know, we have to acknowledge that. And the truth is that is now the more real story. Yeah. Um, now, do you have a favorite moment or a moment that you will always remember uh, from Beverly? We'll start with Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I think that that show has such a special place in my heart because I was really junior when we started developing it. I was really young when we started developing it and it was involved with it from the beginning. And so um, in, in sort of putting it all together and then seeing the culmination of it, that it became this big hit was awesome. And so I think perhaps the moment that that's really sort of, I would say sparked into something cool that I'll never forget was um, we were nominated for a critics choice award um, after the the second season of the show. And that was really fun because it was fun to be with the cast and the audience at the Critics' Choice Award. And we felt like, you know, hey, we were just this little reality show and who knew it would turn into this phenomenon. So that was awesome. But that was just magic. That was lightning yeah. in a bottle. I mean, that was, that was really fun to have pushed through the development of that. And, um, and at the time, the network was wondering whether they wanted to do um, another franchise set in Southern California because Orange County was a hit. And the question was, you know, would that sort of bastardize Orange County? So to have pushed that through, put together the casting and see it become that and then and then sort of have it celebrated in that moment was awesome. Is there a moment in, in the Orange County show that you will always find uh, memorable, that you'll always remember? I think the reunions on Orange County are always wild. So there are, there are so many crazy stories um, from that, like one was um, one of the reunion sets had a um, had stairs 
um, as uh, you know, sort of in the in the background as um, as is one of the features of the set. And so um, one that I'll never forget is um, that Vicky's boyfriend at the time um, walked up the stairs as though he was walking off the set. Like that was his dramatic move. And I'm like, those are stairs. Those are stairs to nowhere. Like there's literally nothing on the other side of them. Yeah. So that was a great moment. Um, so, but that's kind of what I think of when I think of Orange County. I, yeah. think of, I think of, you know, wild, unpredictable reunions. All right, cool. Um, one of the more terrific things that I think you guys did um, is the, the, the way you spun off Vanderpump Rules uh, from uh, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. I think it was it was a terrific way in terms of you know you went from uh, episode uh, an episode of Beverly Hills right into the premiere of Vanderpump Rules and there was truly a story you know a story that crossed over which in reality like that that's easy to do in scripted not easy yeah. to do in unscripted so Vanderpump Rules arose out of a series of conversations with Lisa Vanderpump about doing some kind of spinoff with her. And so we, this was after the first season of Beverly Hills and she was a breakout star and we were kind of talking about what else we might be able to do. And she was smart enough to know that Beverly Hills really captured her personal life. And so we shouldn't look in that vein. And so we started talking about her businesses and we used to feature one of her restaurants, Villa Blanca, on Beverly Hills a bunch, in part because it was based in Beverly Hills. Um, so it was very much in town. But we were looking into Sir as well. That was uh, her other restaurant. And it had the single best looking surfers I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life working there. And yes. so I remember sending Andy Cohen who was an executive um, at the time. This was um, right at the beginning of, um, of his hosting career, but was still running development for Bravo. And I remember sending him a screen grab of the Sir website, which was all of the cast, the cast of Vanderpump Rules, in addition to everyone else who worked at Sir, dressed in black, and they were surrounding Lisa, who was sitting on a pink throne. And <laughs> that's all I had to send him. And he's like, Oh my God, that's fantastic. Let's do a development deal. Yeah. And um, and then Lisa was very instrumental in, in helping to sort of figure out um, who might really pop on camera. And um, I remember when we uh, did initial green screen interviews with everyone who might want to appear in the cast, it became immediately clear who would probably be on the show because um, I've never seen a cast that was more connected in my entire life. And so one of the things that also got us to a green light in series is we drew a diagram of the cast relationships with each other. So this is everyone who had slept with each other, who was roommates, who was best friends, who wasn't talking. And, uh, and it was fantastic. And so that show from the beginning had a number of things going for it, which is one spinoff of Beverly Hills, the Lisa Vanderpump factor. And two, it had this really connected cast that you could never put together. You could not have cast for it because the one thing that you cannot manufacture and you can't even cultivate on your own is a shared history. The cast was incredibly invested in each yeah. other. And that meant that there was great, rich story. And it also meant that we could follow the cast lives. And not only were they you know, inextricably, inextricably uh, woven into each other, but the other thing is, like great friends, they would do terrible things to each other <laughs> and then get over it right away. Right, yeah. 
And, and so it wasn't just people that were behaving badly. It was people who were, you know, again, deeply connected and, um, and might get into um, a whole bunch of messy situations with each other. But then, you know what, in the end, they would be there for each other. So, um, so that's what we kind of, uh, you know, really honestly stumbled into. And then in terms of the, the, the crossover from Beverly Hills to Vanderpump, I mean, my God, once again, you know, what are the odds that uh, a cast member from Vanderpump Rules might have unknowingly had an affair with a, you know, with the husband of a cast member of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Like, it, it's so that, that's, you just, you, you cannot script yeah. that stuff. You wouldn't believe it if we scripted it. We did not know that originally. We, we sort of, that information found its way to us. We, we, uh, we would not have known that. We would not have concocted that. And that's not how you back into putting a show together. Um, but, but it led to great TV and it was Bravo that had the idea to cross over the episodes. Um, the way that we did and, and to sort of start from uh, from Brandy's perspective on Beverly Hills and then to cross over to Sheena's perspective on Vanderpump Rules. And not surprisingly, we had like 100 percent viewer retention for that episode. Right. Right. It was a great way to kick off a new a new franchise because that they do have these friendships that are quite up and down. They're roller coasters. They hate they can hate each other one season and then the next season they're best friends. Has that created struggles from a storytelling standpoint for you know for your story team or does that make it almost more more enjoyable uh for your team because it's different than a lot of shows yeah i, I think it's definitely um, more enjoyable for the team i think that um it is it's so unique in that quality um that i think that it's really fun to be a a part of and again it's it really is story that only develops from people who are so close to each other. I, I just don't think that you get that on, on other shows. And I think the audience knows that at this point. I think that when you see shows that are put together with a group of people who aren't invested in each other, you may see similar stories. You may see you know, a, a lot of heightened story, but it doesn't have the same investment. Listen up, everybody. We all know summer is over and fall is upon us. With so much changing, it's increasingly difficult to find that extra time for you. The time you need to take care of yourself and look your best. With Plexiderm, all you need is 10 minutes and you can look 10 years younger. We all want to do that. Plexiderm is a clinically studied serum that gives your appearance the right kind of changes. It visibly reduces wrinkles, fine lines, and even under eye bags in minutes. And the results will last for hours. You can try a six application trial pack for just $14.95 with free shipping when you visit triplexiderm.com and use the code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V. Again, that's triplexiderm.com and use the code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V at checkout. Make those wrinkles, lines, and under eye bags disappear with Plexiderm. Okay, I, I want to talk about botched because there have been plenty of plastic surgery shows, you know, like that, that's a genre that has been explored multiple times in plenty of different ways. But Bosch has found a, a really passionate, loyal audience, consistent ratings. Why do you think Bosch is a success? I think that it comes down to a couple different things. First and foremost is Terry and Paul are great on their own and even better together. So I think the chemistry of those guys sets that show apart. I also think that 
the angle into botched is just different enough. I think that plastic surgery A is really interesting on TV because it's the ultimate transformation slash makeover because it's dramatic and it's permanent and you can see the difference and you can feel the difference. So I think there's all of that, but I think that botched is just different enough um, that, uh, that I think that it's really very watchable. Um, and, and then I think I give the team that makes it a ton of credit because they really have figured out how to tap into the emotional and tap into the funny and make the episodes different enough. So even though, um, there's been a lot of botch that's aired, it's, it, you kind of have to see each episode. So I think a combination of all those things. <laughs> In the past, there's been a tendency, I think, with plastic surgery shows to go to the freaky side. Um, has there been a cognizant uh, discussion with you guys and with the docs um, to go to add some heart as well as comedy, but make it, you know, keep with the authenticity of what the surgery is all about, how it really works? Yeah, definitely. We we have always had conversations about balancing out all of those factors. So, you know, the... The, the freak factor is is fun and that might draw people in, but that's not sustainable. And we've always been proud that we've been a show that's about heart. We've been about storytelling. Um, and, and the other thing is we are not a pro or anti-plastic surgery show. So I, we've always taken great pains to tell the full and real story. And, and I think the audience senses that. So it's definitely a combination of all of those things. You know, we're not a an earnest show, on right. the other hand. Sure. We're not a preachy show, and that isn't fun. Um, but I think that we've tried to cover all of those things. And, um, you know, and, and it's a show that in the end also does good and changes people's lives. And, um, and so it's been fun to be a part of that. Again, not being self-righteous about it because we are purely and proudly an entertainment vehicle. Um, but it has been nice to see, too, that the show has, um, you know, through the excellent expertise of the doctors, who, by the way, have always done revision work, but are now truly the foremost experts because every year they end up doing even more difficult surgeries and they're inventing surgeries as they go along. Yeah. So through those guys, um, you know, then, um, then it's nice for the show to play some small role in changing people's lives too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I got to ask about the Hills new beginnings. Okay. Um, th- yeah, I-, I was honestly, I was surprised that, you know, when it was announced you guys were the production company, I assumed when I heard that they were rebooting that they would just go um, with the same same format, no sound bites, that they would go with the same look, same, you know, same setup, same same cast, same crew as last time. How did you guys get involved with The Hills, this new reboot? And tell me a little bit about how you guys put your stamp on The Hills. So um, we were contacted by MTV about it, and um, their interest was in bringing back together the original cast and and in uh, sort of using some of the original show's aesthetic, but also in extending the show to an hour um, and and really making it feel like a fit on contemporary TV, which is um, you know much more 
probing and much more doc in general, as opposed to um, you know the, the some of the qualities that the original version had. And so we were obviously super honored and excited to get that call. And so we worked closely with the MTV team to figure out how to dial all of that in. So how is it that you kind of give the um, fans of the the OG version what they want, but also um, make it a show that fits on on you know a current programming schedule. Yeah. And so um, so major challenge. Um, a lot of work, but uh, we're really we're we're proud of the product um, that uh, that we put out, and um, you know it's it always is the challenge. Obviously, um, of rebooting something is if you screw it up, then um, it's going to land with a real thud. Yeah, and uh, and I think that that the audience is looking to be particularly critical of it, and but I think people like it. I think people were into it, and I think that it also. Um, in an entertaining way, I think challenged the original cast to give up more of their lives than they might have the first time around. So that, yeah, and that was my next question is, you know, you've got Heidi, Spencer, Audrina, you even added Misha Barton, you know, an actual actress. But then you're sitting them down in the chair for traditional reality interviews. That's a huge risk. How did the cast respond to these interviews that they were not used to doing? It was it was an adjustment at first. And I think that they were also looking for direction that we didn't necessarily want to give them because we were trying to train them just to live their lives and we would we would capture their story. And I think they were looking for us to uh, maybe give them a little bit more guidance. And so that was it was definitely an adjustment period. It's a, you know, a, a completely different theory of producing. Um, and, and same thing in interviews. I think that, you know, what's really interesting is when you're hearing an insight into someone's mind and they say something um, unexpected or, or give you, um, again, access to something that you might not have known existed. And um, so it, it took some training, yeah. um, but they got there. They, they really did. And, um, and they stuck with the process. And, um, you know, and again, I, I think the result was... Um, was a really fun, cool show. I want to ask you about a show that I, I haven't seen, but I know some of the people that worked on, um, Sex Life on Epics. Yeah. Okay. So I've heard some stories, but I want, <laughs> I want to hear it from you. Um, I looked it up, and this is how it was described, a voyeuristic documentary series about titillating sexual and erotic experiences. Now, if that doesn't grab your attention... I don't know what does. Um, what is sex life? And I'm already interested, but um, tell me a little bit about that. And what, what can we expect to see on sex life? Okay, so uh, I will answer that in a roundabout way. And I first will make the statement that this is why it's fun to be at Evolution, because we are the at the same time that we were developing sex life with MGM, we were doing bug juice for Disney. And it always have so there is a a wide variety of programming that we do. And it reminds me of um, what a former agent had said to us many years ago. He said, you guys should really just pick one thing and and just specialize in that. Uh. And I thought like, no, not at all. Like, you know, it's first of all, genres and and sort of types of entertainment go in and out of vogue and the other thing is what fun is that i agree so i agree it is it is sex life is um is a super fun show to make and it is a 
sex positive show that is about different regular people's experiences with sex. So whether that is um, trying out um, different forms of sex or whatever it might be, it is it's it's just very much documentary, fly on the wall storytelling. And the amazing thing is, sex is once again a very taboo, hard to cover topic. Sure. And that makes it even more fun to do the show. And we think also even more important to do the show because it has um, become something that has you know sort of dirty connotations and is difficult to cover. It is a little bit radioactive, and so we think it's important to also shine a light on um, you know on stories of personal discovery and growth. Um, and then, and then just oddities is just interesting too. Especially in America where we have yeah. so many connotations that probably I shouldn't get into on this podcast, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. but it, it, it's a fascinating topic. And um, I think it's great that you guys were able to find, you know, that Epics was able to let you guys dig into this. Um, I'm curious, was, were there, uh, is there awkward moments, whether it's, you whether it's in the field or even in post, like you know, we've all done those shows where you're walking yeah. past the bay or you're in the bay and you're going, "Man, if my mom saw this, wow!" Like you know, like was it an awkward show to whether it was shooting or being in post? Well, I, I think that the 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 team that signed up to do it was very comfortable with the subject matter. Yeah. So I, you do find yourself, you take a step back sometimes and the conversations that you're having are, um, you know, very um, rare in workplaces. Yeah. So, um, so there's that, but I do think that um, the, and, and it's funny, I mean, I can't even sanitize the story for consumption on the podcast. <laughs> there's nothing to come up with. There's, there's no way of even giving an example of that. But, um, but really, everyone who signed up to do the show um, knew what they were getting into and was excited about it. And so, you know, so otherwise, I, I don't think that we would have been able um, to, to do it. And because it's, it, it is a subject matter that some people wouldn't be interested in, um, in being a part of or have certain feelings about. And that's totally okay. But it's just a very specific kind of show. We have new streaming services launching. Quibi launched in April. HBO Max launching in May. Yeah. How do you feel about the streaming wars, which now it really is, they really are wars. Um, how do you feel about these? How does it affect evolution? A, I think that it's good for unscripted on the whole. So I think that um, I think that it leads to more business being done, and um, so I think that that's a good thing. And uh, but I think that we'll see because, like we were talking about before with Netflix, Amazon, etc. I think that the uh, I think that the kind of programming that is consumed might be slightly different. So um, so I think that we'll have to make adjustments for it. But um, but I think in theory it's it's good because we. We initially saw the erosion of a lot of the really specialized, narrow cast cable networks. And I think that, um, that it's good to see uh, some of that business reconstituted um, in, the, in the streamers. And, um, and, and in theory, there might be a way of, of kind of producing something for everyone um, because it's, there can be all kinds of consumers 
who might not necessarily be enough in numbers or or the right demographic to have their own network, but um, but I think that the streamers might try to appeal to them. So in theory, it, it's good and um, and there's more demand. All right. Well, look, Alex, thank you so much uh, for joining me, for chatting with me. This has been great. And I know you guys are busy right now, so I appreciate you taking the time. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And um, yeah, this was fun. All right, cool. Continue to wash your hands and um, <laughs> we will make it through this whole insanity. I know it. Yes, yes, exactly. So plenty of hand washing going on. <laughs> All right, man. Talk to you soon. All right, take care. All right, thank you for listening to another episode of No Script, No Problem. Now, if you enjoyed the show, and I hope you do, Please subscribe, download, and rate it. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find it at Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. And you can follow me on Twitter at Steve Berkowitz and on Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. Once again, please remember to subscribe, download, and rate it with five stars. You can also write a question to me, and then I will answer it on the show. My email is no script, no problem podcast at gmail.com. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. Thanks to Mike DeLay and Real Voice LA for the audio hookup. And thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Steve Berkowitz for No Script, No Problem. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.